candidate interview prep. Yep, it's a thing. I used to prep people for interviews back in the day. To this day, I give people advice on breathing, calming nerves, acknowledging fears, and what bad habits to be aware of. The people you are interviewing can be scared, confused, and they really just want to make a good impression. Hi, I'm Dava Mills, the Rebellious Recruiter. Today, we're talking with Heather Hill of The Right Path. Heather left a position in high tech some years ago and started focusing on resume writing. Her natural ability to help people put their best foot forward, it's actually developed into coaching individuals for interviews, as well as helping them develop their written presence. I thought hearing from someone who gets candidates ready to meet you will give you another perspective of how you are perceived in the interview. Plus, Heather is just a down-to-earth person, surviving distance learning with three children, and she's growing her business. You can find Heather on LinkedIn. She's an open networker, so feel free to send her an invite to connect. I'll have her link in the show notes. So pull up a seat and listen in. So this is Heather, Heather Hill with the Right Path Resumes. Uh, So give me the actual name of your business, Heather. So it's the Right Path Resumes and Interview Prep. And Interview Prep. Now the Interview Prep is the new portion of your business, correct? Yes, I have been finding that um, you know it's a natural part of resume writing that I've been doing for over nine years now. You end up coaching people. They have questions about interviews and how to get through those. How do, can I say this? Can I not say this? What do I do if I'm nervous? What if they think I'm too old, too young? You name it. Um, even reasons they might've been let go or they walked away and it was not a very uh, positive reason, whether it was their fault or not. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm doing um, interview prep sessions as well for clients where we go through Q&A. And then we also talk through any work uh, problem they might have or an interview concern that they have. It's, it's not just questions and answers. So when they come to you and they're getting prepped for interviews, how does it work? Did they come to you with a list of objectives they think they need to overcome? Do you have kind of a a bullet point list of things you need to cover? Is it kind of hybrid from that? What does that look like? When I am have connected with a client, I always ask them, what are their greatest concerns or perceived issues with interviewing? because they will always give me a heads up. (laughs) And um, if they've read the directions, (laughs) um, but they'll always give me a few points that they're concerned about whether they're nervous or articulating well, or being from a foreign country. And again, articulating well their thoughts. Um, And then when we actually do the interview prep, that's when I go through my whole spiel basically of Mm -hmm. the different, different impactful points that I know they will take away and get value from based on previous clients feedback. And there's two main things that every client has said were very impactful whenever I go through these sessions. And what are those two things? So the first one would be how to view an interviewer when they go into that interview. So a lot of people Uh, They walk into an interview and they're very nervous. I get Mm -hmm. nervous too. And they're shaking or they don't know what to say. 
And I, I tell everyone, instead of thinking of them as the big bad interviewer, think of them as a client with a challenge and you're the solution because that's why you're there. Mm -hmm. Another thing is to remember that the interview isn't about them. It's about that client and the problem they have to solve. Most of my clients have come back and told me, wow, that really helped me because I never thought of seeing them as a customer. But it's just like when you see that person walking down the street, they stop you and ask you for directions. Mm -hmm. And you're telling them, oh, yep, go straight, stop at the red sign, turn at the blue barn, whatever. You get very engaged and helpful Mm -hmm. and passionate. Your body, your mind changes. And it's the same thing when you're speaking to that interviewer, you know, look at them as that person asking for help. How can you make their day go better? And how can you help them with the challenges that they're going to bring up? So I want to go back to something. I know you had listened to the interview that I had with uh, Penny uh, Philauer. And in that interview, one of the questions that just made me cringe was the question about is happiness a right And you just said that you're working with a lot of people who are not basically, you know, they're not American. So is that a concern about them that there is a perceived bias over their culture or their thought process? And what are what are the concerns that people who aren't inherently American, what do they have when they come in for an interview prep with you? So as far as their concerns, yeah, um, their concerns are whether uh, there's a, a wonderful woman I'm working with right now. She's uh, from Africa and um, she, her biggest concern has been the way that she pronounces words. Okay. So um, there's some phonetic um, challenges there. And um, I happened to mention a couple, Hey, if you, if you say this word this way, pronounce it this way, it will sound more educated. And she has a lot of education, mm-hmm. but it's not reflected because of, of not being from this country. She didn't understand the accent. Uh, she's very accomplished, very educated. Um, another concern is the fact that they're foreign, um, that people won't want to hire them, especially um, I would say South American mm-hmm. clients. They have challenges with that. However, I usually try to reassure them by letting them know if any place that accepts diversity, it's definitely going to be here in the U.S. And the things that they might have heard about and are fearful of are not the majority. Right. Now, you also, early before you started your career, you lived in South America for like a year. Yes, more than a year. I lived in um, La Paz, Bolivia, and I spoke, or sorry, I didn't speak. I taught conversational English to uh, locals there. Yeah. So reflecting back on your experience and living in another culture for two years and then coming into this experience as preparing people, what are some of the commonalities between those two experiences for you? I would say understanding um, common colloquialisms or sayings that people would take for granted Um so not, and not taking things literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so for here, um, I had another gentleman, he's also from Africa. He's a very high level project management and he's been in project management for a while. And somehow over the past five or six years, he had escaped hearing the saying hurting cats. 
And that's Ooh. a very common project management phrase. Yeah. And so we were talking, we were talking about that and kind of joking around. And I, I said, yeah, like herding cats. And he thought that was the funniest thing he had ever heard um, because he had never heard that before. But, you know, things like that, really common sayings that that other people in the culture from the culture would really understand it, 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 it escapes people who are not from here. And so sometimes it can be hard for them to keep up with the conversation and understanding that it's actually another descriptor of the work, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I could see that from the, the herding cat standpoint. I know that I used to work with a lot of guys that were from Eastern Europe and um, you know, they were teaching me like basic things to say to people to get through paperwork and um, instead, like I said, well, when I get done with all the paperwork, like I'd say, you know, napichata to be a zavut means, you know, print your name, right? Now we get through the whole thing and I'm like, so what do I say? And the guy, he goes, oh, you just say, and he basically gave me the Russian equivalent of, you know, F off. And like, I knew this guy well enough and I knew my Eastern European guys, they all had like these huge senses of humor. So I pulled another one into my office the next day. I'm like, so if I said, you know, and I threw it at him, he started laughing. He's like, oh my God. And so he gave me a couple <laughs> more like really like phrases that I should never say. And of course I say them all the time. Right. And, um, and he goes, no, he goes, just tell them. Suda. I'm like, okay. Like thinking at this point, because I've broken the ice, I trust this guy. No, I was telling people basically print your name, sign, date, get lost. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and this is like these, these big personalities that I was dealing with. They thought nothing of it. They thought that would be hysterical. And, um, and sure enough, like I tested it out on people like at job fairs to say, you know, the guys are teaching me to say this and they would just laugh at me. And they were like, that's cute. Like <laughs> they wander off and I was like, oh my God, I have no clue. So, you know, Google translate came online and that's how I learned what no, I was. Yeah, that's been, I would say, yeah, I've been practicing my Spanish and uh, trying to, to increase it. I haven't really lost it, but I wanted to increase it. And I use Sp SpanishDictionary.com and that is so much more fun um, than yeah. anything I've used. But um, when I went there, one of the things I remember not saying correctly, which is much tamer than what you learned, is... <laughs> <laughs> Um, when you greet someone, you're supposed to say um, mucho gusto, mm -hmm. but which means uh, nice to meet you, or I'd like to meet you, um, or it's a joy. And I said, me gusta mucho, which means I like you a lot. And so the gentlemen in the church, <laughs> the youth um, that were about my age, they, 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 they thought that was hilarious. And they go, oh, really? <laughs> So it was a little bit embarrassing, but they're very sweet people. I still have very good friends from there. And um, it was a, it was a great experience. And, and honestly, I think that it's very hard for people to understand what it must be like to be a foreigner, unless you have been a foreigner. Foreigner, Yeah, mm -hmm. I can, I can definitely imagine that. And then, so as you're working through, like you told me you had how many clients last month that you dealt with for interview preps and, and coaching? Oh, well, yeah, it was the past three months I've had about a hundred interview preps now. Holy um, smokes! Yeah, there there's quite a few, and I've I've found you know that is my my calling that I'm 
great at resume writing um, for the executive leadership levels. That's my main audience. However, um, and usually they're, those are the um, people who are a little older, right? Who usually have attained those positions, not always, but most of them. Mm-hmm. And um, with interview prep, most of the people hiring me to do that are older because they haven't interviewed in so long. They've, they've been at these companies for so long. And so they want to know if the rules have changed. They want to know what to do about their age because mm-hmm. of ageism. Um, and they want to know what they can and, and can't say. Some people have been let go um, for various not so great reasons. And they'll ask, you know, well, here's what happened. And I just want to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I told them, you know what, it's good to be honest, but you can't tell them everything because they are not your friends. You just need to keep it specific to the job. Can you do the job? Do you have the skills? And I can help you how to, to, an, to understand how to answer the more uncomfortable questions, such as the one that everyone dreads, which is, why did you leave your previous position? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, there's a lot of dreading questions out there, but I find that one, what always gets me because as someone who has spent so many years interviewing people, you know, I get the, oh, it was a mutual decision. I know automatically when they say that they're lying, it was not mutual. Um, you know, I was laid off. Well, how many people were laid off? Just me. Okay. They probably weren't laid off. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. There was a budget cut and you only cut one person, but then you're like, well, how many people were in your department? 25. How many people at the company? 500. How many people were laid off? just me, you know? So it's interesting when you go through that because I can't speak for every employer out there, but for me, you know, getting fired, it's, it happens to people, you know, unless you're like kicking in windows or something in somebody's office, people get fired for lots of reasons. And most of them, I don't find bad. Right. There's a lot of the firings that I've been finding lately um, with people I've interviewed with have have just been glossed over reasons um, to reduce headcount mm-hmm. and employers get worried about um, diversity issues and being sued. So they have to find some other reason. They have to really look hard sometimes. Um, and what's horrible about the whole situation is that candidates, they lose complete confidence in amazing skills and abilities that they have put a lot of time and effort into over time. They lose confidence in that. And I've told many of them, I don't do fluffy compliments, (laughs) but I will give real compliments. And so far, everyone I've worked with has been very accomplished and they had a lot to offer. And they don't just lose that because they were fired. Even if they made a mistake, they don't lose their value. And that's my goal every time I talk with people to help them realize that. Um, yeah. It's and then and then they want to tell the whole story. And I'm like, listen, you were reorganized. One person being laid off, fired, you're they're reorganized. And you really need to be looking at it that way because you haven't done something that, I mean, none of the things that they've been let go for were things where they were, you know, got in legal trouble um, or should have, right. <laughs> not even close. 
Um, most of it has been due to COVID and, yeah. you know, companies, this is the time right now to have a gap <laughs> because yeah. they will just assume that it is COVID, whether even if it, it wasn't, you know, it's really, some of those things are none of their, their business. And that's the, that's the funny thing. Like I'm all about like candidate honesty and like reading between the lines with candidates and figuring out what's missing from resumes. And it's not that I inherently go into a resume looking for what's missing, but sometimes I'm looking for like, if they have a year long gap and it's not explained, you know, here in Oregon, we can't say, you know, what were you doing during the gap? Because that is, could cause some sort of illegal consideration if the person spent time in prison or jail for something right? Uh, because of the ban the box legislations that we have here uh, when we can start talking about these uh, issues with our candidates. But I do ask them if I see more than a three month gap, I'm like, did you have a job during this time frame that isn't reflective of the rest of your skill set that you're talking to me about today? Then mm-hmm. every once in a while, a couple of hidden jobs pop up. Well, yeah, I thought I'd try this industry out or this job was a bad fit. And it's like, that's all I want to know. I mean, I'm fine if you took a year off and you, you know, went and climbed, you know, Machu Picchu or whatever. I'm, <laughs> I'm cool with that. You know, uh, I just, I just want to know what was happening there because I also mm-hmm. know that if I'm looking at somebody from a whole candidate experience, that gap right whatever happened there could be really valuable. I know when, you know, a gap for me was when I worked at Starbucks for a year, you know, I was a recruiter and then I have a year long gap and then I was a recruiter again, but uh, Starbucks has this acronym latte for uh, dealing with uh, customer adversity. And mm-hmm. it's listen to the customer, acknowledge what went wrong, thank them for bringing it to your attention, tell them what you can do, encourage them to come back. I like that. Right. That was like over 15 years ago and it still goes through my head and I still use it in training with people. So Starbucks isn't on my resume, but it it gave me a tool. Yeah. That's a lot of, a lot of the things too, when, when we're walking through an interview prep, you know, there's my, there's the canned stuff that, that I make sure every client gets that the first session, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's the different um, Q and a that we go through and I know that um, based on um, all of the interview, I, I had 11 interview preps on on um, Thursday. No, was it Thursday or Friday? I can't remember now. It's it's all a blur. Um, I, I don't think I'll do that again. No. <laughs> do that many. But right now, a lot of people are trying to get in for interview prep before interviews before Christmas break. Right. And so sometimes, you know, especially when you're running a business, you make exceptions and you lose some sleep for a while to kind of help people out. And so that's been the stir right now is just trying to help get all those people through. And, um, you know, they're most, that's what most of them are asking, you know, has interviewing changed because the rule, it seems like the rules would be different. I haven't done this in so long mm-hmm. or, um, you know, I'm getting second interviews, but nobody's closing the deal. And, you know, the, the other part of that is the four things that are going on right now, which is right. COVID. We mm-hmm. have a, an election circus going on. We right. have, um, we have businesses that are kind of have been holding off on committing to their budgets, which therefore commit to candidates because they're waiting to see what happens on both of those fronts. And then it's already the holidays and the end of the year. And so I've been trying to 
promote a lot of hope because in January, mid-January, there's there should be a lot more posted and they'll right. probably be getting phone calls from, you know, a few months ago. <laughs> right. Because now the budget's been released or whatever the deal might Finally, be. Finally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Got it. So it, I'm ex- actually expecting a waiting list at that point, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, so they that does, has seemed to help because they're all wanting to fit there. I just interviewed a week ago, as in very recently, I just right. interviewed a week ago. I just interviewed a few days ago. I haven't heard anything. I'm like, you might not hear anything until January. Yeah. And I tell this to people all the time. There's two stop points during the year for interviews. It doesn't mean hiring doesn't happen, but it means it slows down grossly. Mm-hmm. And the first stop point is uh, January through August. Uh, not January, sorry, July through August. And the reason is the summer vacation. It's just everything, just whatever you think your time frame is going to be to hire, tack on two weeks, like just right. tack on two weeks. And I remember going rounds at one company and my boss was like, oh, you just made up that information and you're putting it out there. And that's what the universe is coming back to you with and blah, blah, blah. And then sure enough, that summer I had a critical hire and I'm like, okay, well, we're ready to go. Oh, I'm I'm going to Europe for two weeks. And it's like, <laughs> how could this be a figment of my imagination? I've only at that point been doing it for 17 years. And I've seen this happen at every company I've worked for during these two months. Right. And then the other one is between Thanksgiving and New Year's. Yeah. And that's for just a mishmash of reasons. It's for the budgetary reasons you're talking about. It's the Christmas break. It's the, you know, kids coming home from college. Yeah. It's relatives. It's flying out for Thanksgiving. There's not these long vacations that take place, but there's just enough of scattered activity. And especially with your higher ups and accounting. And if your fiscal year, uh, fiscal year ends December 31st, it just. Right. It and there's away. a lot of red tape. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of red tape. And that, that was, you know, you were talking about how July and August are very slow. One of my other recruiting friends, she said the same thing, but this summer mm-hmm. was record breaking for me. Doesn't surprise me. Super because busy. Time to, to, to get coached with They're you. thinking about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it because it's, you know, the people interaction part it is my favorite and, and seeing them go up the door confident. That's that I tell my clients you know, my clients are my coffee. <laughs> I get a, a true high from every person I work with and knowing that they feel good when we're, when we're done, because so many of them, when they start out, they're getting coaching because they're a lot of times they are not feeling good about what they have to offer. And right. they, and they want to know, well, you know, they, a lot of times they'll say, well, I don't know if I really can say that I'm really good at that. And I've heard that from the highest levels in finance management working in DC. And, and I tell them, you know, are you kidding me? Look at what is on your resume. I would love to have that on my resume. You can say I am good at this, but you know, the most important thing you need to understand the candidates is the, the employer doesn't want to hear, well, I think I can do it and maybe I'll try and uh, you know, I'll do my best. No, they want to hear, yes, I can do it. Or I know how to ramp up quickly. I've already learned these other things that are very similar, like different software. You learn right. one database, you can learn another database very easily. Yep. Um, or, you know, in my case, most of my candidates have had the opportunity to delegate to resources. Right. And so, you know, a leader cannot be good at one thing if they're trying right. to be good at five things. So exactly. they're going to delegate to other talented people on their team who are better at the things that they don't have time to do than they are. 
You know, it's funny that you talk about that because I know, um, so full disclosure here to everybody listening to this, uh, Heather actually rewrote my resume for me, which for me was really weird. And just in all honesty, because (laughs) I've, you know, read resumes for how many years now? And I wrote a resume that I was pretty proud of, was getting me in front of people, getting me interviews. And then I gave it to you. And ultimately, from what I can tell when I went through it, like side by side, you moved a lot of things around, like pretty much everything I put in there stayed, but it went in a completely different order. And then you tweaked a few sentences. And what I really liked was because I use big words, like when I'm talking, I use words like myriad and whatever. Like right in my summary at the top, it's like, you know, you know, working in esoteric environments and you left that in there, but you tweaked my summary and made it more impactful. And it was really interesting to go back through and read that. And then um, as it was sent out to people, I was getting different kind of phone calls as a result of that. And I I just thought that was so interesting because I was like, wow, (laughs) it's like, because when I read it, like, yeah, that makes sense why she did that. But it was not something that I would have come up with myself, even though. Right. Years of reading resumes. I know. I mean, that is so intense, too. If I had to redo my resume, I would hire somebody else. (laughs) Hopefully I don't have to do that for a while, but there's good stuff on there, but it's the whole picture isn't there. But, you know, I've heard that from a lot of people and I do have very specific areas formula that I use to make sure that's there. Um, You know, if you have engaged with large brands, you know, Mm -hmm. every that's impactful. Um, Mm -hmm. If you have some great accomplishments, especially if they're quantifiable and qualifiable, all what are your three key areas of focus? So, for example, if you're in project management and you hate accounting and you hate finance, don't list that as your top three, right? List the things you want to do and that you're good at so that when the employer or the recruiter takes a look at it, they know what you want to focus on. But those key things, and there's other things I do to it as well, but those things have to be on the first page because you hope they read both pages or three pages in some cases, but they're probably not going to. So how can you get their attention on the first page? What I did, though, read recently, about a year and a half ago, there was a study that came out that said people with two-page, like relevant two-page resumes, that's a caveat there, right, were more likely to get a re- uh, more likely to get the interview. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I thought, you know, and so I've been trying to tell candidates that if you have more than 10 years experience in an industry or in a profession and it leaks over to a second page, don't beat yourself up. And I'm still seeing this one page resume advice out there. And to be quite honest, like when I've got a three or four page resume, I get annoyed, but I've never noticed if it's a two page resume. Yeah. I've and yet I still see recruiters. Oh, I, it has to be one page. I'm like, really based on what? Yeah. It's, it would be nice if we could just do one page and that's why it's important to get to the point very quickly on the first page in an interesting way. But, um, you know, you don't want to short yourself on content. If there's impactful things, get rid of the fluffy stuff, get rid of things that, um, honestly, the, the employer would say, well, you better have that skill. So don't list it out because it looks, it it actually lowers your career level. But for, I'll give you an example because that wasn't very clear. Um, 
for example, with a project manager, mm-hmm. you wouldn't say I'm really good at Microsoft Word <laughs> because they could say, well, you better know how to use Microsoft Word. And, and there's a, you know, Excel might be something worth calling out because if you have really uh, good technical skills there, or even, you know, you can do pivot tables and mm-hmm. all of that, then yes, list, list that on there. That's a, that's a little harder, more technical skill. But Microsoft Word, Outlook, things like that, or, you know, if you're an executive assistant, they're going to assume you know how to do that. Mm -hmm. You can list it in your work history, you Mm -hmm. know, comment that you used something for a specific purpose, but listing it in your your core competencies or skills is you're wasting the opportunity for the keyword optimization you need for the applicant tracking systems or ATS that we now have to deal with. Right. <laughs> um, right. You know, because your resume, you know, just like with yours, and by the way, I have a newer template I should show you that's even better. Ooh. But um, with the with the ATS compliance, you know, there's articles out there that say, well, it just needs to be ATS compliant, plain, nothing nothing fancy on it. And then other people say, well, we need this for human eyes and we need to, you know, you know, get them a little prettier. And there's some beautiful, beautiful ones on Etsy that I've seen, but they're not ATS compliant. And so what I've done is, is through my different experiences, learn how to get both into one document right, and make it easily editable so that People don't have to hire me again if they don't want to. Right. <laughs> they can still understand why we write it the way we write it. Right. I know for me, like one of the things that on my resume that was really important is I really tried to call out in my action verbs. And I know you kept like all of them. I, I know you changed a couple, but mm-hmm. in the starting off of the action verbs of each of my bullet points, I really tried to be truthful about what level of experience I was on whatever I was calling out. Like if I let it versus I actually implemented it, you know, because to me, there's, there's that nuance that says I can delegate on this task and I can oversee this task, but I'm really not doing this task. And I see a lot of people on their resumes. I think one of my most frustrating things I see is uh, candidates that I've like, I brought on a temp once and her job was to move. um, We were thinking we were going to get rid of this ATS. And so what I wanted to do was get all the resumes out of that database into PDF into a file in case we were going to put that ATS to bed and go with another one instead of trying to do a whole API integration because it was a small company. And then worst case scenario, I can go into my exchange system, you know, type in a keyword, find the resume I'm looking for. Right. And so it was a pretty big project, right? To move all these things over. And we had to do some other low level, you know, admin stuff, which kept her busy for a couple of months for all these little things that just needed to get done because in the middle of this, we were implementing an LMS system and creating all this training. So we were all over here mm-hmm. and she's just doing all this little flighty stuff that needed to get done. And she did a really good job with it. I found her resume a couple months later and she's calling out our company. Okay, great. You know, and she made it look like she was running a recruiting overhaul project with an ATS system and literally made it look like she was implementing something. Oh my. <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff that drives me absolutely bonkers on people's resumes is they literally, I'm just like, you can't do that. Right. There's, there are sections on your resume, like those core skills where you can just put a word or a couple of words like risk identification and mitigation. 
things that will make the employer want to invite you in for that date or that interview and ask you questions, that things that get their attention that cause them to ask you more about it. But then there are the things that are the the skills or the, sorry, the daily tasks that you do mm-hmm. or, or positional tasks that you do in, within your work history where you're spelling it out a little more and it mm-hmm. should be more accurate. You know, you don't want to overpromise something. Um, you know, people I've worked with have, have um, in the past been, um, missed out on an opportunity for lying on their resume. And they were very accomplished and didn't need to do that right. anyway. But, um, but that does happen. And, you know, you don't want that one job you decided to lie about your something on your resume to be the one. Yeah, it might be a job you really want that could be the stepping stone to something great. And right. then you get to miss out on it. So I pulled up your LinkedIn page. Mm-hmm. And I want to read your header here. And then I want to talk about this for a second here. It says, Confidence Crusader, providing collaborative resume writing experiences and interview prep sessions that enable job seekers to interview with impact. So Confidence Crusader. Um, some <laughs> years ago, like when people had Crusader on their resumes, I would have said, take that out, right? <laughs> but it really... There's, it's funny to watch shifts that happen in like interviewing and stuff like that. And Crusader is in the past 20 years has gone from, oh my God, you know, we're thinking about the middle ages and all that to, you know, it's somebody who's now leading the charge and there doesn't have this like religious context to it. It's kind of interesting to have watched the shift, but Mm -hmm. we were talking earlier today and you were talking about how you're helping people with confidence and you've talked about it a couple of times during our conversation now So tell me about some of the confidence issues that people are having. You said it was around age. You've talked about it being from like another country. What are some of the other things that people come to you and they're just down about that you have to, you know, build their confidence up? Well, part of it is um, also they're reevaluating interviews that they've had that they're not getting calls back about. And they think that they're answering everything the wrong way or that it was the wrong thing. They're overanalyzing it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they did say the wrong thing um, or they were, they, they gave too much personal information. Um, but they, you know, a, a big part of it is just, they just want reassurance when they do Q and a practice that they're doing it right. And, you know, it's just like when you're in a job of, for, for me, for example, an example answer I would give for someone, if the question, a question that you might ask a candidate is what motivates you? Right. So a lot of times they'll say, well, I just want to know that, um, that I'm doing it right. Uh, they want to know that their, that their manager is going to take time for them to meet right. with them, to talk with them and tell them they're going in the right direction. And, and I tell them, yeah, you let them know. I don't need a pat on the back every five seconds, but right. I do need to know I'm going in the right direction. And I've been there. I've had some really great managers um, and inspiring people who I probably wouldn't have decided to do what I'm doing now without some of them in my background. And you were one of them. Oh, but because uh, we did work together at one point, but I didn't manage you. Yeah, we were... <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> no, no. But it was uh, it it was you're one of the people I really enjoyed um, interacting with. There's other other great people there too. But you were one of the people that really stood out to me um, with your per- 
personality just it made me braver i guess Aww. i can i should say um but when um people are are asking for reassurance when they're not feeling confident it's because they just they need to know for sure okay here's the guidelines they want right. guidelines on on how long they should talk you know how what should they be covering in their answers mm-hmm. um should i ask questions what questions should i ask one of the questions that I tell my candidates to ask, which my previous clients have, a lot of them have gotten big compliments on this one. It's what is the greatest challenge facing your group, team, Mm -hmm. organization, company in the next three to six months? Right. Because that's a can of worms, right? Especially right now. And it's a great way to get the interviewer to tell you all about their problems and the challenges that they have. And I, I tell them, you know, you can be thinking of things you've helped previous organizations overcome and mm-hmm. compare that to what they're talking about. It shows your active listening skills and that you realize this job isn't all about you. It affects the whole company and that you're a long and ter- short-term thinker, which is really important right now with COVID right. and, and being flexible. And so between that and viewing the interviewer as a client, those mm-hmm. two things are the things that I'm constantly told really helped them through their next interview. And I get messages all the time. It went great. Or that, you know, this one, I messed up with this part, but the next one's going to be great. I mean, mm-hmm. every interview is an opportunity, right? right. Unless you've been, it, they, they misadvertise the position, which happened to me. Um, and you end up, you go in for an administrative position and they actually want you to sell knives door to door. Yes, <laughs> I've seen those. Yes, I've, I know what you're talking I got about. I under one of those once. Yeah, but. you know, human resource trainee. <laughs> I've waste. seen that for door to door sales for some sort of telecom product. Or, yeah, yeah, or or business or marketing administrative position, and it's really selling business supplies door to door. When I was still going to school, that happened to me, and that was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I did learn you know, to how to vet them a little bit better because it was very misleading, but, you know, because, you know, a young woman at the time I was young, a young woman going door to door selling knives in Portland. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah. A little scary, but they, um, but you know, most interviews I have found are not a waste of time. We always learn something. We learn how to do it better and we need to, um, face our fears. I absolutely believe in that. You know, I have a fear of public speaking. So I volunteer to tell this children's story once a month and, you know, try to get over, over that fear and be a good example to my kiddos that yes, you can can do this too. And I'm going to get through it. (laughs) Um, But it's also helped me with uh, my running my business and helping these clients this way and being a confidence crusader and telling them the honest truth about what they can speak to confidently or should be in their background, that has helped me um, to be more confident myself. Right. So it's not a one-way thing. Every time I get positive feedback from a client or even negative, which there really hasn't been that much so far. Um, It's all been constructive when it has been. But like I said, it's mostly been positive. Every time I talk to them and I see that smile, mm-hmm. my goal is get them to smile by the end of it and, and own that they're good at something, especially when we're practicing how to say, uh, how to answer a question. It just makes my day. And I know 
I had a positive effect today. And that's right. going to have a ripple effect with the next person they interview with. And that might help them get to the next level too, because they won't be so intimidated the next mm -hmm. time they go into an interview. You know, it's funny because you talk about those end of interview questions. You know, my thing is I want candidates to tell me what's really on their heart when they ask those kind of questions, right? Mm -hmm. Because so many times it's like, they'll ask some sort of question. It's like, did you get that from Google? They're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of my favorite questions, especially if I'm like in a room and I'm interviewing like four or five people at once, yeah. I look at them. I'm like, can everybody in here tell me what the lack of a person in this position, how it's affecting you and your department? I love that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Absolutely. You should be using that because it's like, it gets all of them. Like, you know, I remember having like five people sit back, and go, oh, this is how, you know, this particular position. And then you're also seeing the different nuances of how they work with that person. Right. Right. And another, uh, another thing is anytime you're interview, uh, interviewing with a PhD, um, I always ask every PhD I meet, I say, you know, like, what did you add to your body of knowledge? Because that's what the PhD is, right? You're right. proving something that nobody else has proven in this context. And so many PhDs are like, nobody's ever asked me that before. And you can learn so much about why that person was hired for that environment if they have a PhD and how it all relates because they have an entire life work, you know, centered around that concept. So right. Well, and they have to continue to contribute to that. They have to, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I stopped at my bachelor's degree. <laughs> I don't have to, I'm like, if I go master's or above, I'm going to have to continue to do homework for this for, you know, every year. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I remember when you got your bachelor's. I remember that. Uh, I, was, I was pretty proud of myself because, yeah. um, I, I came from a very small town. My dad was a logger and, and, um, you know, hardly anyone in our family had gone on to complete a, a degree in school. And, um, uh, all of my sisters have as well. Um, they, and, uh, you know, it, it made a difference. I took a long time to go back to school, but high school, I got terrible grades. It was more there for the social reasons, mm -hmm. but, um, when you're really ready for it, you work hard for it. And I did, I, I, worked really hard for those grades. And that, that, that brings up another point too, is a lot of people, even if they have an established career track, mm -hmm. they, they're, they go and they'll put those, the GPAs on their resumes. And I don't, you know what, you're so far past that. It, this degree shows that you started something difficult and you finished it. Right. That's what one of my mentors to always told me and call, this degree, the pe that paper means you finished something you started and that's great, but now you've got to get the experience to back right. up what well, you well, got to start using it. So Annapolis, the, you know, Navy Academy, mm -hmm. they have a tradition that every year during graduation, that the guy that graduated or the gal at the bottom of the class gets to shake the president's hand. And I remember somebody one day was like, well, why would that person? I'm like, do you know what the dropout rate is at military academies? Like the fact that they finished, you know, you get something like two D's and you're kicked out. I mean, it's right. like, I'm like the fact that that person finished is the most important part at that point. Right. That's, that's why it's celebrated. Um, and then I remember telling somebody once he was one of my interns. It was when we used to work together and uh, 
I asked him on the phone, he was uh, between his sophomore and junior year, I think. And I said, so what's your grade point? And he starts hemming and hawing on me. And I'm like, all right, let me tell you the rules on grade point averages. He's like, all right, what's the rules? I'm like, A students work for B students and C students companies. He's like, really? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know, spit it out. What is it? It was like a 2.7 or something, right? And I'm like, it's not <laughs> terrible for all the activities he had going on. And right. I remember that summer because... He came in, he taught me how to do a pivot table before it was easy. Like now you just hit a button in Excel and you get a pivot table, but he sat down and taught me how to do that. He's now running a European division of a company out of England. And I'm like, and so then one of my friends moved out there and I connected them on LinkedIn. I'm like, Hey, you shot me, you know, you know, 15 years ago, you taught me how to build a pivot table. He's like, I remember. So it was that's awesome. Cool. But it, it was, yep. It, it was, I kind of felt vindicated in that moment. Like, you know, I've been watching his titles grow um, through his career. And I, I absolutely felt vindicated over that because the grade point average, it really, you know, did you finish? Right. No. And a lot of those guys, I mean, I've known, I've had a few clients who are very high level IT mm-hmm. I can't say in what or, or anything, but um, they, uh, you know, one gentleman, he has been a true um, cheerleader for me. I have a few of those on LinkedIn uh, who, who think I'm wonderful no matter what. I mean, they're always like making great comments and, and uh, will check in with me or hire me for something here and there. And, um, but when I worked on his resume, you know, he had a ton of knowledge and should have been in a higher level position. And my, it's one of my greatest accomplishments with him is that when he was done, you know, he was giving me tips on my kids um, homeschool because he had mm-hmm. um, helped someone else, high net worth individual with their kids homeschool. And he took the time to give me advice about it. And I knew he was very high level. So it was huge that he he did that when I happened to comment when I was trying to take on with three kids in homeschool for this year and running a business. And um, but anyway, when he um, when I got done with his resume and he went and interviewed, he tripled his income to pretty high um, daily rate plus expenses. And it's things like that that make me realize, OK, I've I've got something here and I'm yeah. doing this the right way. But, you know, when people hire you for, and you've done coaching too, um, Mm -hmm. a different type of coaching, but, um, you know, people, they're not just, they're not really paying for those documents. Mm -hmm. They're paying for your time. They're paying for you. And they just want someone to listen to them and show them why they should believe in themselves. Right. And so that's, you know, where I've gotten the greatest satisfaction, all this, the other things, the bells and whistles, the tripling their income, you know, that doesn't happen with every client, but, you know, just getting the notes saying, you know, how much better their interviews went, how much more confident they are. And now they're negotiating with three different offers. You know, I get those sometimes and it's just, it makes my day. (laughs) I can imagine that would make my day too. That's really cool. Yeah, I uh, I had an analogy I was working on a few weeks ago about um, you know the the arrow and I you know, there's a podcast recently you know, the swipe right aim and it was funny because as I was kind of coming up with this analogy and I had still you know suffering these huge bruises on my arm yeah I I listened the, to that one yeah, yeah I I pulled it on one of the guys I worked with just before it dropped and I'm like you hunt he's like yeah I'm like archery or you know gun he's like. 
he's like a gun. I'm like, okay, well, I have an archery analogy. He goes, you know, I have a bow and arrow. I know. I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And I kind of walk him through. I'm like, so when you hold up, because we were talking about um, a promotion and he's like, well, I'm going to sit on this. He made up his mind. He's going to yeah. sit on it for another week. I'm like, hold on here. You know, he's going to think about it some more. And I'm like, so when you pull back on that drawstring and you're anchored and you don't let go, what starts happening? It's like, I start shaking. And then what happens? I miss the target. I'm like, dude, it's target it in line. He's like, yeah. He's like, all right, got it. You know? <laughs> What do you think is, I'll ask you a question. So okay. what, what, what is one of your greatest um, client achievements or th- something that you're proud of that oh made gosh. you feel like, man, I am now, I am in the right place. I am doing the right thing. This is what I was meant to do. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy that I worked with at Vigor that I talked about in, I think my first episode, the listening through frustration. Um, but that, that really is more than what was actually mentioned in that episode. So working with Jeff, um, it wasn't just his frustration level. It's the fact that I am a military brat and my father, um, he was a fairly accomplished like war planner in the military, like one, like they have like, you know, mock war competitions and stuff like that between squadrons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the biggest ones ever, like he led them, his squadron and they won and then they retired it. So his squadron was left with the trophy. Right. Right. And so understanding a lot of this military, it's given me, and then like I had an uncle killed in Vietnam. My grandfather was an army air corps, which became the air force. He actually served in three wars. He wow. served in world war II, Korea and the start of the Vietnam conflict. Um, he was a flight engineer and I just have so much military in my family that it's so natural to me to talk to people in the military. And so for me, Like when I talk to someone about their background, like I really have an appreciation and I know a lot of my dad's stories and I can start drawing correlations with some of the frustrations they might've dealt with. And so it was, it was really cool because recently I had a chance to pull like all this experience together with one of the managers and I was able to start putting everything in correlation of ranks. Hmm. And he understood based on the ranks that I was describing, like where he fell and what his responsibilities were. Hmm. And it was really cool to be able to do that because it was like, it gave us a common language. So I know that right now, one of the big focuses at my current employer is we're really changing the focus when we talk about like company values and mission statements and, you know, whatever the, the touchy feely stuff we're really turning it into the common language. So it's really, so if we're focusing more on the common language, it's about how do we bring people on board and teach them to be fluent in our language? But first we have to find out what their language is. Right. Meet them where they're at. Yeah. And so that for me, like that military upbringing, it's really given me, it's really given me a process and an appreciation. You know, my best friend um, from high school, he became a boom operator. Um, and then he took a commission as an officer about 10, 12 years into his career. So he started off enlisted and then retired as an officer, which doesn't happen a lot. Um, hmm. But it's, that's the, st- that's the stuff that just, when I look at someone, I can help them 
like redefine their path. Um, and there's a tool that I was taught to give people uh, called F-stops and uh, F-stops, you know, like on a speed of a camera shutter, like, you know. Right. Yeah. So an F-stop is um, it's failure, success, threat, opportunity, problem, solution. So you go into your past and you document your failures and your successes. And then you go into your future and you look at your threats and your opportunities and then you look at your present and you look at your problems and your potential solutions. And I once had a candidate that kept telling me how he wanted to work for a big company. And I kept putting him in front of big companies and he kept just like, you know, basically, you know, face skidding basically. <laughs> and finally I was on the phone with him one day and I pulled out this tool and I spent, you know, a half hour with him on the phone. It turned out he was afraid of being lost in the shuffle. So he had wow. been given this entire thought process. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was a college professor. I don't know if it was a family thing, but his entire life, he was pushing to work for these big companies. And it turned out he he didn't want to be a little fish in a big pond. So yeah. a couple of years after that, I tracked him down and he was an assistant professor at a small college working his degree. And I'm like, he was so much happier. That's the thing about work is that, you know, a lot of people don't have the you know, the true blessing or luxury of doing the thing they love and getting paid for it. And if mm -hmm. you can realize even a, a little bit of that, um, you know, there, there are the people who they can go to a job every day and it's just a job and they're, they're fine with it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it doesn't really matter if they love it or not. It's, it's not really a concept for them to be, it's not important to them right? because they just, they need, you know, we all have to get a paycheck. We have to support our families, but if you can do something that you really love, there, there's so many people out there who I look at their resumes all the time and they have these amazing gifts and talents where they could actually be doing what we're doing. They could be entrepreneurs because of what they do. They could be coaching people in project management who are freaking out because nothing is going right on the project. I talked to a gentleman today about that. Like you could be showing them how to straighten these numbers messes out. I mean, if I were a project manager, I would be asking you to help me being worried about my job because of thinking something is a bigger issue than it is. Having a calm coach who knows your field, mm -hmm. that's really valuable. And I've had the opportunity to help, uh, you know, a few different people see that and, you know, just understanding that our resume isn't just, that isn't just your ticket to go see an employer. There are things on there you could be utilizing yourself to have your own side hustle, which is what I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. And someday it could turn into your main hustle, which is right what you, well, you, you're just still, you're still doing both. I don't have time for that. <laughs> no. Well, let's, let, let me put this into perspective though, because I got like one last part of our conversation here and then we'll wrap it up. But have you always been homeschooling or did you switch to homeschooling as a result of distance learning? It was as a result of distance learning because my kiddos were in private school and <laughs> I liked the school, but I didn't want to pay the same price um, cause it's not cheap. I didn't want to pay the same price if they were going to be with me. <laughs> right. So I tried to do the public school route and they, it was a big old mess. And so then they got a notice they, uh, about mid October, um, being when they can get everyone on, they kept rejecting paperwork. And so 
In a nutshell, I ended up uh, signing up with a with a homeschool. And honestly, looking back, I'd say it was the right thing to do because I have three. Right. And the idea of getting onto video school it, for three kids and it's live mm-hmm. would have been a nightmare. So homeschool, the homeschool we picked, I won't say the name here, but the, the homeschool we picked has pre-recorded classrooms with teachers and kids. And they don't, they can all be on there at the same time. They've asked to meet the teachers and the students, but it's pre-recorded and, um, but it's run just like a classroom and they actually, you know, talk to the students. So it's, you know, we're get we're as close as we can get to yeah. until they can it's, be back on site. It is definitely interesting. Like uh, one of my friends, they have three kids and in their family, you know, dad has been working full-time outside the home. And mom is, you know, she's the home provider, right? And she's this amazing person because she has been for our PSO, which is our version of a PTA. She has been doing that for years and she's a leader for that. And she's a leader for the school. And I am just amazed by her. And, you know, they had to set up an entire room as a school room and she's there full time managing three kids. And it just absolutely blows my mind. And of course, you know, my kid, thank God, like I can hear like downstairs, the hardwood floors, I'll be upstairs in my office and I can hear what's going on in her class. And then I'll go down and check on her and see what's going on every once in a while. And sometimes I'll pull her into my office. And I know when we did distance learning last year, she usually did it under my desk. She wanted to be Hmm. near me and it was just a laptop. So she was just hanging out under my desk all day while I was working. And, um, I, I don't, I don't know how you do it because if I had to go to homeschooling, I'd be like, you know, I'll let the state find me because I'm not going to do anything with my kid this year. She can <laughs> out, right? Well, I'll tell you, I am, we're getting through it. It's, you know, people tell me clients sometimes, see, the thing is I get up at 2am because I have clients all over the world and oh I'm, I've, you know, I've been coaching people in Africa, Australia, Germany, Russia, South America, UK. Um, and you know, those are all different time zones. And then the East coast, Canada, um, they, I just, I never know, you know, where the next client is going to come from. And so I was trying to figure that out. How am I going to do this? And so I thought, okay, well, if I get up at two, I have at least three hours that I won't be bugged, wake my kids up at 5 AM to do their homeschooling. And we work hard with a couple of breaks, mm-hmm. but you know, breakfast and and uh, lunch or whatever, but we, we work until 11, then they get to play. And Mm -hmm. I go back to work with um, either coaching or, you know, working on my resume projects. And then I go to bed like a 90 year old at seven 30 or no, eight 30 (laughs) every night, most of the time. So, um, but you're getting like five and a half hours of sleep a night right now. Uh, It's not, I don't know. It feels like I'm getting a little bit more. Um, I, and after this, what's been happening with the holidays with trying to do all of the work and the, the um, homeschooling and everything. I, after this holiday, I'm going to change my hours a bit more um, Mm -hmm. so I can get a little bit more sleep, but it's actually been really great getting up that early because I really enjoy the quiet time. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I'm not doing clients back to back that early, but I'll do one or two. And it really works for the people who live so, you know, in such different time zones, because 
you have to imagine, you know, they want help too, but if they're only doing it according to what normal hours would be for me, then they have to get up at 10 at night or two in the morning or whatever. And so it's a little more, it's a little easier for me and I love it so much or mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it. Um, wow. And then, uh, yeah. And then, so, and then the kids, you know, they just do the homes. They just have to work really hard for a few hours. And so they're actually not even doing classwork as much as they normally would mm-hmm. for school. And so I'm sure that will be a big change for them if we can be back in school next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Balance well, is important though. You're right. I mean, we get burned out and I've done, I've gotten, I got burned out last year. And so now I have a better balance and it's, it's, but it, with this COVID thing and the homeschool thing, you've had to continue to rebalance things. Okay. And as you know, we moved to yes. a slightly bigger house and so I'd had, I had imagined for Christmas, oh, I'm going to, we, we have these triple high um, windows in the living room. We've never had windows like this before. And it looks up towards these woods and I thought, oh, I'm going to have my Christmas tree in front of this window and it's going to be so perfect and beautiful. And I've worked so hard and I finally get to enjoy this. And then we had to do homeschool. So it actually looks like a little internet cafe. Big <laughs> long folding tables with their laptops, the stacks of books. And by the way, the teacher's books, the amount of books I have are more than all three of them combined. Oh my God. Um, so, because you've got tests and quizzes and then answers and planning books and, and then regular work answer books. And, um, you know, but you know what it's, we're making it work. My children see that me being able to run a business and help them with homeschool, the that both of those things are important. Yeah. And someday when they, when I release them onto society, yep. <laughs> hopefully they will um, be just as motivated and driven as well. I'm pretty sure my, my littlest, my little blondie Lydia will, will probably take over for me because she's constantly coming at me with lists and plans. And this is when we're going to do it. And this is what time, and this is what the menu will be. And <laughs> She's a little project manager in the making. I, yeah, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, she'll be how to build soon. a wagon, right? Isn't that like the first PMP kind of like yeah. analogy? Is how do you build a wagon? So, oh yeah, she'll awesome. tell you what color sprinkles you're gonna have on your ice cream and whether there's gonna be a cherry, and that she's very detailed. And so I try not to, um, even though it kind of drives me nuts sometimes. I I try not to hinder that too much because that's that kiddo is going to do something with those skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So to wrap this up, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and talk to you about resume writing, um, interview coaching, what's the best way to get a hold of you? The best way is to check me out on LinkedIn because that is my webpage. Okay. Um, and it has my contact information on there and you can look it up, I believe either by Heather Joy Hill or the right path resumes. And then my email address is the right path resumes at gmail.com. And the right and path is W R I T E. That's right. Little yeah. wordplay there. Just trying little to be word clever. Play. And we'll go ahead and put a link in the show notes for everybody. So I really appreciate that. And I'm so excited for you too. I it's a huge compliment that you invited me on here and I get to be a part of this. It's my first podcast and I get to do it with a friend and, um, you know, I've been watching you too and how you've been growing and you getting to do something that is your own, your, your business baby. Yep. <laughs> and it's pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm really excited for you. Well, thank you. Well, you have a good day and, um, thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week, and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.